I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. All righty. Hey there, Madigan. Oh, hey. So today is a twofer we usually split up our episodes and do like one on a thursday night and then one on like a sunday morning but we are gonna do we're gonna do it old school the way we used to and do them back to back yep it's just like the old days when we could be in the same room with each other you know yeah except not at all do you remember (laughs) the last time we recorded together i remember i didn't take my microphone and we were like okay well maybe there's like one more week of us being able to get together before shit goes right. to hell and yes. then it was like the next day I was like can I yes. go pick up my microphone <laughs> I'd had a feeling I remember because I, I had a feeling when you were over here recording I was like maybe take your microphone just in case like I was like take it just in case and then um you know it just slipped your mind whenever yeah. you left or whatever which and then, is what like, always happens with me <laughs> it was literally the next day that the governor was like yeah we're shutting down we're not seeing anyone so you drove by and I came and like dropped it off and you were sick but not from covid yeah and so uh, i remember like even though people had weren't people were freaking out okay because that was the time whenever like nobody knew anything (laughs) yeah and and like grocery stores were totally shut down and there were the big long lines but still like i we were gonna give each other a hug like when i gave you the microphone but you were like i'm sick don't hug me yeah exactly (laughs) it wasn't covid it wasn't covid yeah but i'm still just like don't fucking hug me just in case like i know i don't have covid but my god don't get sick right now and weaken that immune system yeah oh my gosh it just feels like forever ago it was i mean it was like it isn't was. that crazy because my so my birthday's in March yeah my birthday was the first weekend that we were fully on lockdown mm-hmm. um and my half birthday is in September so it has been almost six months yep so yeah. that's that's what's up that is what's up yeah it's it's crazy I feel like I have that discussion with Max just about every day where you know time is going so slowly yet so quickly at the same time and everything blends together like I don't I have a very hard time telling people when things happened because it all seems like the same month or the same time it's just like 2020 is just its own it's like a watercolor of just like everything is meshed up yeah there's no months there's no seasons there's no anything we're just living in 2020 and it's yeah the only reason we know there are seasons is because it's hot as balls here I know you guys are probably sick of us <sighs> saying how hot it is but it is really hot and I just heard today that Dunkin Donuts has already released their pumpkin spice 
what? for the season. And I'm like, you guys, it's 100 degrees. Why? That's <laughs> insane. I was just thinking, though, because I worked at Starbucks during the holiday season. And I love all the holiday Starbucks stuff. I'm too. really looking forward to their pumpkin cream cheese muffin. I hope they get it again this year. Here we go. I get a pumpkin spice latte and a <laughs> pumpkin cream cheese muffin. And I'm not even like a sweet coffee drinker, but I love I just get one pump of pumpkin spice in my latte. That's all I need. Ah, it's perfect. I'm very excited for fall, actually. I'm kind of excited for fall. Although I just got a lot of really cute summer clothes, and I'm kind of like, I don't want to stop wearing my Bummed cute up. like summer dresses that I, I got. This is the first summer in years that I have not bought a new swimsuit, because I am a swimsuit addict. Like I yeah. have, like I don't know, maybe 15 swimsuits. Like I have a lot of swimsuits. Oh my gosh. And I buy new ones every year and I didn't this year because what are we doing? I mean, I hang out by my pool, but other than that, it's like I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I think for me, just because I still have to get dressed every day, it's definitely like I've still kept up with some of my shopping behaviors just because like, you know, I used to be one of those people that could stay if I had a day off. I could just stay in my pajamas all day. I would never get changed unless I like showered or, you know, had to go somewhere. But if I wasn't leaving the house, I would just stay in my like chill clothes. And now I really like getting up in the morning and getting dressed, even if I don't have anywhere to go. I just like feeling put together. And I found I've been going on Poshmark like crazy where I can get like new clothes for like 10, 15 bucks. See, that's good because I'm about to blow my entire paycheck on Fabletics because like all I'm doing is living in like workout clothes (laughs) because I'm like I feel put together. First of all, I am working out now, so I'm not just strictly athleisure wear, but I (laughs) that's why I can't. I feel like such a like a traitor if I buy like I can't buy athleisure wear. You should. (laughs) Even if you're not working out, you should because it feels like upscaled pajamas. You know what I mean? Where it's like you feel put together, especially if you're in like a matching set. But you are still in stretchy, comfy clothes. See, for me, that's how I am. That's how I am with dresses, with like light, like short sundresses, just very thin, nothing special. My thighs rub together. It's a problem. Oh, yeah. I just, for (laughs) me, it's like it feels like I'm just wearing barely anything. Like I wear just the thinnest dresses I can find without them being see through. Mm. I love a house dress. Yeah. Oh, I have so many. But no, nothing's a house dress anymore. And nothing is just an outside thing. Everything is everything now. So That's right. That, well, welcome to 2020. That's how we do it here. <laughs> well, so, now that we rambled for about five and a half minutes, let's get this episode started. Let's do it. So I wanted to start off actually by saying that what sparked our interest in doing this topic, this is something that had never been on my mind to do as an episode topic, but is very much a part of my lived experience, especially not only as a black woman, but also as a actor. Uh, I cannot tell you the number of times my mom, God bless her. She means well. Um, and I know exactly what she's saying and it's not her fault for thinking these things, but you know, she will watch all those Hallmark movies at Christmas and she'll be like, Keegan, why aren't you in these Hallmark movies? She's like, it's never the, she's like, because, and this is what she told me. She's like, you should be in these Hallmark movies because they always have a black friend. They always have a black friend and you could, you could be that. That could be your role. Yeah. I totally see what your mom is going for because especially like having, you know, being an actor as well and going through all of that, I used to get, obviously not the black best friend, but I used to always get that I am not an ingenue. I'm not a leading lady. I'm like the quirky sidekick, which is literally what I felt like my entire life to all my beautiful blonde best friends that I've had throughout my life. I'm like, great, thanks. Now I won't even be cast as the leading lady. Fine. Right. I mean, and we could have an entire episode talking about Um, typecasting and all of those things, those issues that exist specifically for women, for everyone, but specifically for women uh, within Hollywood and that industry. Absolutely. But we saw or I posted to my stories. I want to give her credit. So there was a kind of like Instagram slideshow that was like, let's talk about the black best friend. Mm-hmm. And it was posted by a person named by Sarah. So B-Y-S-A-H-R-A. If you want to go check out their page. Um, is it definitely. Sarah or Sarah? It is Sarah. So okay. S-A-H-R-A. Oh, I see. I thought I never mind. 
Yeah, so Sara. Um, yeah, so definitely go and check out their page. There's really cool stuff on that page, and that is what sparked our idea or interest in doing this topic because I put it in my stories, and then Madigan wrote in and was wrote into me, wrote into me. Yep. In my DMs. I'm like, Keegan, I'm such a big fan. You know, it would oh be a gosh. really great idea for an episode talking about the black best friend. <laughs> but that, I mean, but that is what you said. It uh, is what I said, so. but I didn't write in as a fan, although I am a big fan of yours. Thank you so much. Oh my right God. You. <laughs> okay, so that is what we're going to be talking about today. And my notes, uh, while they are centered around the black best friend, in my opinion, that black best friend stereotype also very closely intersects with the sassy black woman, angry black woman. The magical Negro also, I feel like. Those things will come in um, by Sarah also does have a slideshow on the magical Negro Mm -hmm. specifically, if you want to check that out. But I'm going to be talking or we're going to be talking about kind of all of those things they're referred they're referred to as all of those things and they do kind of work hand in hand yeah exactly and I wanted to start this episode with a little bit of another discussion that I think just kind of ties into the context of what it means to be or have a black best friend what that means in society uh, the defenses that a lot of white people use. Uh, so this is something that uh, was Why very... white people have defenses, I don't understand. About uh, yeah. Something that really doesn't, is not theirs to get in up in arms about. 100%. And if you all listen to our episode that we did, our last full-length episode on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, we talk about this a lot with Joe Biden, you know, talking about how he worked in an all-black swimming pool growing up, so he felt like he was involved in the civil rights movement, even though... He really wasn't involved. He was just working at an all-black swimming pool. He was just there. He was just there. there, And and I think that that's so amazing that you bring him up. I think it's kind of perfect, or you bring that story up, because that is exactly kind of what the black breast friend is there to do, where it's just like, just by being in proximity, we're supposed to believe that the white protagonist is a good person. Right, and that's exactly how we've viewed Biden. We've had this very picturesque view of Biden for so long because he was Obama's VP and we love Obama. So there is kind of this weird association as well with that friendship that I find is interesting. And I didn't even write anything about that in my notes. That was just off the top of my head. No, it's perfect. <laughs> actually, I actually read, which is a good time for me to tell you my sources. So okay. I, I got stuff on tvtropes.org, the mm-hmm. a Guardian article, Afropunk, and a Bartleby essay. And And in um, one of the things I didn't write down, I think it's tvtropes.org, maybe they were talking about how giving your hero a best friend from a different ethnicity tells the audience that he or she is relaxed about race and welcoming to all. And you get that perceived cool um, factor that comes from being close to a minority community. And when talking about Joe Biden, that's exactly what it is. It's like, we're supposed to believe that like, oh, see, look how like comfortable he is around race and look how cool he is because he has a cool black best friend right. in Barack Obama. You right. Know? So why this is so problematic is because it doesn't really put importance on personal relationships between a white and a black friend. Uh, the reason that this trope and this defense you know, it doesn't work is because in order to truly have a close personal friendship with somebody, no matter what their race or background is, you, you know, you get into those deep conversations and those deep personal conversations. And this article that I was reading from, I believe this was the LA Times, I didn't write it next to here, but they were talking about how, you know, when the white friend refuses to have blunt conversations about race and fails to acknowledge their racial differences, it is not only just harming their friendship but it's harming their black friend it's not giving them it's not fulfilling the friendship in the way that it should be so that was one of the well, first points that yeah they made. it's almost never even brought up it's like we're supposed to just believe and very often especially if it's female relationships uh that you have this black friend who has this very sassy quality who comes in with the comedic quips um, who's never actually involved in any of the action typically and so we're supposed to believe that this is your best friend but you don't ever get invested in her life or his life in any kind of real way exactly in 
in that by Sara uh, slideshow, she has a slide that says, "Don't, uh, but wait, don't you want more black characters? Why is this bad? In that they say black best friend characters exist solely for the development of the white character and are never given a chance to develop themselves. And this reduces blackness to a mere prop, reinforcing the idea that center stage is reserved for white people and that black characters are unworthy of having developed storylines. And that is true in our lives. That's not just true in a writing room or in a casting office. It's true everywhere because our society constantly gives us messages that whiteness is ideal. So even when that white person... Yes, it is. You know, we've talked about this before you know, when reading a book uh, and they don't describe a person as being typically, you know, black or if they don't say that they're black in the book, you will automatically assume that the character is white. Um, so it does give the the white friend this false sense of superiority. And that is kind of what this comes from. It, it's kind of like, you know, that white saviorism at times. Um, it's it's very much like an accessory Yes, I read it that it was the cinematic equivalent to saying some of my best friends are black. Exactly. Whereas like not only is it an accessory, but it's also oftentimes, especially, you know, we talked about female characters, but with male characters and friendships, it is oftentimes an excuse for there to be a lot of maybe a lot of black bad guys in the movie or, or TV show. And it's deemed okay because the white protagonist fighting the black bad guys has a black sidekick. Right. So it kind of like okays the entire situation and doesn't make you have to look at it any deeper than that because we are assuming that a black person is signing off or co-signing exactly. on whatever's happening. Exactly. So then as the viewer, we don't have to question what's going on because we assume that everybody is okay with whatever's going on. Right. Yeah. And one of the things this article talks about is that many times while a white person does discuss racism with their black friend, instead of listening and supporting, they make the conversation about themselves. And this is something that I point out in myself constantly. I never try to make things about myself, but I must have learned somewhere along the way that, you know, relating to people means sharing your experiences. And that's something that like in my adult life, I've worked really hard to shut up and listen because I can talk all day. And I think I've gotten much better at it of like, I've always wanted to know what people had to say. I've never meant for it to be like, I didn't care, but I've wanted to make sure that especially with, you know, the people closest in my life that I'm not talking over them and make sure that, you know, they have the floor whenever they need anything from me. So while that's important, if you are in, you know, an interracial friendship, it's always just important in general to just shut up and listen to what the person has to say. I am the same way. I do the same kind of thing. Like, I do think that it is part of what was ingrained in us as far as like learning to be conversationalists is to find things to communicate about. And very often for a lot of people, I feel like that means finding parallels in our experiences, which then sometimes means talking about myself because then I talk about my own experiences. And it's something that I too have had to be conscious of and try and stop doing. Because it's natural for a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's definitely something I have to remind myself of a lot because I am such a talker. And something you brought up uh, that I think is more true when we're looking at the male friendships in TVs, TV and movies, that we see the white friend getting like a little too familiar. It starts to get to a point where they're maybe starting to kind of be ingrained in the group a little too much, and it's starting to a get of, racist. A lot of fist bumps. Yeah, there's a lot of fist bumps. There's a lot of like slang terms there's that a lot maybe of, shouldn't exist. Yeah, there's a lot of like black scent being put on. There's a lot mm-hmm. of you know, there's this thing about you know the white guy hanging out with a group of black guys. You know what I mean? That's this funny thing that we see a lot in movies, right? And these things are also harmful in real life because I think a lot of black people can recognize or, you know, other minorities, absolutely, probably members of the LGBTQ community, uh, you know, Latinx community. I feel like very often because of these portrayals on screen and these portrayals of these friendships that white people might have a certain expectation about what being friends with you is going to be like. Exactly. And then 
you and as a person of color or like a minority person, a person from a minority group, you're an individual. You're not a monolith. You're not mm-hmm. a stereotype. And you can feel sometimes when y- you feel like the other person isn't getting what they expected out of you. You're not black enough. You're not what they expected. Right. They wanted to add you to their deck of cool friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, that that's part of why all of this stuff is kind of harmful. It's incredibly harmful. And that's why I felt it so important to talk about the the real stuff too so from that la times article there was another article from the root.com that is entitled seven rules for white people with black friends and it's very like it's kind of like a parody article there's lots of funny stuff in it but i didn't write any I of the love funny the stuff root. down do you know who wrote it i wrote it down somewhere Okay, it's okay if you don't know, but um, our friend Jay, who has the podcast, The Extraordinary It was not Jay. It it was not Jay? It was Michael Harriet. There we go. Because he writes for The Root all the time. Does he? And it sounds like something that he would write. Yeah, he's a writer for The Root. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, this is, it was great. It was super funny, but I, you know, kind of focused on the realness that was hidden beneath the humor. So there are seven rules. Number one is know the line. Know that there are some black things you can't do, no matter how close you are to your black friend. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what I word was, is off the table. Yeah, you cannot say. And that's actually one of the rules here. I believe that's number four. So I'll skip ahead. Saying the N-word. He says, there's only two times when saying the N-word is appropriate. And I was like, what? <laughs> so this is what yeah. he says. If the word is being discussed, which I, even for me, I'm kind of like, I wouldn't personally say it I still think it's unnecessary to say it when you could you just, could say, just the say the n-word exactly yeah. and then the other time he said that it's acceptable is if you are acting in a legitimate movie or a play or artistic production in some way not just on like YouTube or I was about to say Vine but I guess TikTok um, <laughs> gosh we're old <laughs> I know right I was Vine <laughs> Vine oh my god what is it 2013 what um so and that makes a lot of sense to me because i've talked about this on the show when i was in the the play hair i had to say that word twice and one time completely by myself and when it was in the group i never said it unless it was for the show and then when i had to say it by myself i had that friend that like wouldn't cut me off so i was supposed to just say the beginning of it and then he cut me off and he wouldn't cut me off and I got very mad at him in rehearsal one day. Right. If he was supposed to cut you off, then he should have. Yeah. But and, I, and he was I a black say, man. He thought it was funny to make me like, I think he thought it was funny to make me say it. I and don't I, think it's funny. I don't think it's funny either. It just, and I, I just don't ever want to say, I just don't ever, I'm like, my phone hears everything, even if it's taken out of context. You know, what if in 40 years from now, they're like, Madigan Haggerty like says the n-word right but I mean there is a time and place and I feel like it has absolutely been used incorrectly Quentin Tarantino I'm looking at you because I really do feel like Quentin Tarantino so excessive it's excessive and unnecessary like I enjoy some of his movies but I do think he is problematic and he uses his platform as a writer going off on a tangent to sometimes get away with things that he should not get away with. Yeah. And using the N-word is one of those things. However, I do believe, just like um, any other kind of traumatic story that is being told, like if you're covering the Holocaust, somebody has to play a concentration camp um, guard. You know? Yeah. Like, there are things that have to be done in movies, in art, uh, in order to tell a story or get a point across. And if that's the case, then that is different. But yes, in your day-to-day life, as a white person or a non-black um, person of color, you should not be using that word no. under really any circumstances. Not you don't even need if to it's sing it in, in a, song. a goddamn song. I mean, we right. we mentioned, I think, Hannah Brown very, very briefly when that whole thing went down during the pandemic when she... Uh, there was like an Instagram video or a TikTok video of her where she said the N-word. And she should have known better. And she, she should have known better. better. And she, I mean, luckily, it really seems like she is taking this time to educate herself. Uh, I hope that it's true. She's definitely put that out into the world. It seems like she's uh, learned from her experience, which I really hope she had. She kind of went on like radio silence for a while. I think she was aware of how badly she fucked up. And that's the thing, because I can't say that in my life, I've never said the word in a song because when I was young and stupid, I'm sure I did. 
You know yes, what I mean? But and Hannah Brown is like 25 white blonde fr- from pretty, Alabama. From Alabama. Yeah. She doesn't get a pass. She doesn't get a pass. She doesn't get a and pass at all. But I, all I, I can, can hope is that her she apology. Yeah. Right. I can accept her apology because it did seem sincere. Uh, I can accept her apology while also saying that you have some deep seated shit you need to work through if you have this platform. You're from Alabama. Yeah. And you didn't know that this was going to be a thing that you shouldn't do on an Instagram live. Oh, yeah. Well, you know and, what I and, mean? Uh, what's her name? The Rachel? Is that the other Bachelorette? Mm-hmm. She went off on her for a mm-hmm. while. And there are people like, she's being too hard on should've. Hannah. I'm like, no, no she's should have gone off on her. And they, she had Hannah on her podcast. And I guess they had a lot of discussions outside of the public eye the two of them about stuff and I guess she told her off a whole lot and Hannah just kind of sat and listened to it and just Rachel tried. is not to be fucked with. She is not and to be she, fucked with at all. She is not your sassy black friend. She is not your black best friend. No. Nope. Okay. She <laughs> is not, not gonna purpose. she's not gonna fall into any of your stereotypes. I best bachelorette ever. All right. So back to rule number two. Rule number two is be white, which I love. You know, don't try to be something you're not like it's again, it's the white person that tries too hard. You know, it's the person that puts on, you know, the linguistic blackface, he called it, or tries to blend in with their surroundings when really it's like, if I'm your friend, I just want you to be who you are. You don't have to be something else because of right. who and I am. You know, you know what? Um, I think this brings up an interesting point as well, is that like there are white people who grew up around black people. Okay? Right. Like you watch Eight Mile, right? You, you look at Eminem and you understand that like, this isn't something that he's putting on necessarily. Right. However, he is still a person who grew up with a very white experience. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, even though he grew up around black people, um, maybe maybe in a lower socioeconomic class, he is not a black person. Yeah. Um, his experience is not as a black person. So you don't need to put on these airs of being something that you are not, um, especially very often what I see portrayed in the media and what I'm guessing that he's talking about with this linguistic blackface is white middle class to upper middle class, uh, usually guys. Sometimes it happens for women as well, although I feel like if they write a white female character that way, it's supposed to be a joke or a caricature. Yes, one of my examples was actually Lily from How I Met Your Mother, and we did a whole How I Met Your Mother episode and why it's problematic, so I can't remember if we mentioned this one, but do you remember the episode where her friend from high school, Michelle, comes to visit, and then... No. And she puts on a black scent, like a real, like, really heavy, and then, and the whole gig, like, the whole gag of the whole, like, episode is that when Lily walks away and the gang talks to Michelle one-on-one, she doesn't actually talk like that in real life. She's like, oh, yeah, Lily just brings that out in me. It's just when they're together, they both put on this facade, and it's that weird, again, it's this weird, like, performative friendship. Like, neither of them are being authentic with each other. What I was going to say is, like, if that was a real-life scenario, which it's not, but, like, if it was a real-life scenario, to me, what that would be, if I'm looking at it from that perspective, it would be that the black friend is, again, trying to live up to the expectations of her white friend. Because she doesn't really talk like that. Why did she start talking like that? Did Lily start talking like that around her? And then the black friend, you know, kind of... a responsibility to have to live up to that expectation. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You are exactly right, my dear. Number three is know your role. And they talk about talking to the police for your friend in this uh, little section. And this was written a little over a year ago, I believe. So this is definitely important now. And they say that, you know, if you are... And this was written really funny, but he's like, you know, if you're pulled over by a cop, you know, you need to do all the talking while also conveying to your black friend in you know I sign language that like you know shut up and I'll do all the talking and I'm going to take care of you and things like that and I think that's really important and you know we do say this a lot is using your privilege for good if you are pulled over by a cop and you are with somebody from the black community you better turn that white privilege up and do what you can to make sure that your friends are safe right so here's the thing 
color blindness doesn't exist. We've discussed this. It doesn't exist and it also doesn't exist in friendships. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist in your relationships. If you are in an interracial partnership um, romantically with somebody, it also doesn't exist there. You cannot... You have to see and honor the person's color and what that means for them to move throughout the world in order to be their friend. So while you might be white and have white friends and you can look at it as just white friends and you might say, why do I have to treat my black friend any differently? It's because if you are a true friend to a person of color, specifically a black person, then you are not only a friend to them, you are also an advocate and an ally. You have to be. And if you are not that then you're not really their friend no, because you don't value them yeah yeah you don't value them really exactly number five because we already did number four is learn things take the opportunity to see the world through another perspective and educate yourself independently so i like this and i also think that this is something that uh people can read wrong as well again i'm going to bring up the joe biden situation you know there is it is great to be able to look at the world through someone else's perspective but there has to be education behind it it can't be like a vacation for the day where you're what's life like on the other side or what's life like this way right this we're is, not undercover bossing this situation exactly so if you're going to want to learn about another person's perspective it can't just be it can't just be about living in the within the same vicinity as them or going to their house and knowing their mom and things like that it does take education to truly understand and sometimes yes being in the home and talking with you know families that are different than you is an education but it is still important instead of you having to rely on them for information getting information for yourself to make sure that you are you know being appropriate and you know not asking stupid questions honestly that's always my biggest concern and also well but here's the thing true friendships (laughs) as someone who has been many a black best friend and oftentimes the only black friend in large groups of mostly white people hey midwest i can i can (laughs) say yeah i can say that uh, friendships do go both ways they do so like if i am your friend and you say something that i don't like or offends me um as a black person i can say those things to you i can educate you in that way But what that means for the white friend in this scenario is that they need to take that, utilize it without getting in their feelings about it. Because if you are my friend, I should be able to be vulnerable and honest with you and say, hey, you know what, like what you said it wasn't okay, and here is why it wasn't okay. You're my friend. I love you. I know that what you said, you didn't mean it the way that it came across, but as your friend, I need to let you know that it wasn't okay. And in return, as my friend, I need you to say, oh my gosh, thank you for letting me in on that. Of course. I will do better moving forward. Yeah. Like, that's what we need as friends. And if you can't give that to your black friend, then you're not really their friend. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, I'm going to get through these last two. Uh, number six is don't partake in cultural appropriation, which we've had a whole cultural appropriation episode. I think this kind of ties into just be white, be yourself, be who you are. You know, I see a lot of people that I know on Instagram, especially white women who date black men, who mm. partake oh my God. in a lot of cultural appropriation. There's a girl I did background with that I literally had to mute her Instagram. I mean, I could just unfollow her. Like, we're not really, really close. I don't know why I muted her. But she's done, like, braids in her hair. Like, full braids. I sent you a picture of it, like, forever ago. Mm-hmm. And she got them again. And it's just, it just makes me feel, like, I know it shouldn't make me feel uncomfortable, but it does make me feel uncomfortable. Because it's well, like, why are you posting this for everyone to see? And why is and no did, one calling you out on it? Does she have a black partner? She does, yeah. Okay, so... I honestly think this should go on our list of things to talk about because it comes up often. And that is the fetishization of black men. Yeah. Um, There is a huge sexual fetishization of black men. And I feel like what goes along with that is this idea of the free pass. You see it in friendships as well, but especially in romantic relationships, mostly with white women, with black men. You don't see it as often with white men and black women. 
where they feel like they get a pass on whatever they decide to do. And it very much feels like they want to be in this relationship because it gives them that and pass. This is the same for and that pass. And also that um, it makes them more interesting. Yeah. And I feel like that oftentimes white people feel that way when they enter friendships with with people of color or people in the LGBTQ community. Oh, yeah. Community. I mean, look at the Kardashians. You know, mm-hmm. it's like everybody that they come into contact with, everybody they've dated, they just appropriate from. You know what I mean? They don't right. well, have their own identities it, anymore. They feel like it makes them more interesting, which right. is a real issue because a lot of white people, the reason why cultural appropriation is such an issue specifically with white people and why they do it more than other people do it, um, other groups do it with, you know, other minority groups, is because in my experience... They feel like their culture is boring Mm -hmm. and they can glom on to another culture that they find to be more interesting. Right. And you can't rewrite your own history. Come on. (laughs) Right. And it's okay to, you know, admire someone else's culture, but it is not okay to decide that, you know what, my life isn't interesting enough, so I am going to date a black man because I think it's a personality trait and it makes me more interesting. Yeah, it's Uh, it's the same thing as people that say things like, you know, I only date black men or I only date Asian women. You know, it's that it's fetishizing and it's gross, insulting. And, you know, as someone who has been fetishized that way uh, and been with people who were like... often would mention that their girlfriend is black it's It's dehumanizing yeah in a way yeah because it it boils you down to one thing and again one part of you to bring it to bring it back to this like black best friend sassy black friend kind of trope that's oftentimes what it does it 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 makes the character one-dimensional it boils them down to one thing uh, and that is to be kind of the magical Negro who comes in and helps solve the white people's problems without ever having to examine any of your own issues. Or if you do examine the black best friend's issues, very often it is riddled with tragedy. <laughs> or it's still it's there in the story to still move the white character's story forward. Usually, even if it is tragedy, it's something that will maybe wake up the white character or make the white character realize something. It still, you know, plays into... Right, yeah. That the very goal often of, the, will, of the main character, you know? Yeah, that very often will happen as well. I mean, the black character in True Blood, it's been like years and years since I've watched that show, but I remember for the first little while, they like didn't look into her character pretty much at all. And then when they were like, hey, maybe we should develop this character more. I want to say her name was Tara or Tara or something. When they were like, let's inter- like let's develop her character more, everything about her life was a tragedy, Ugh. right? Like, it was just like, she'd had, ab- she'd suffered abuse, like sexual, physical abuse. Like, she just had a really dark storyline and not that those stories don't need to be told or they don't happen. But when that is, it's kind of like when we were talking about disclosure, right? Like when that is the only information that is being taken in through the media, um, it makes it, if it didn't happen so often, then the occasional clumsy representation would be okay. And in that article I was referencing earlier, That's actually what he says. He says, back in the 80s, it was just a pleasant surprise to see a black character in a film or TV show who wasn't committing a crime. (laughs) It might be time for interracial friendships to move forward to the next level. Definitely. Well, I'm going to skip number seven because we're just going on for a while and it's not that important. But I also read something interesting about how the black friend as a buffer goes all the way back to slavery. So slave owners would paint a picture of harmony and love between them and the enslaved that would justify their racial hierarchy. Mm -hmm. There was this guy named George Fitzhugh, who was a supporter of slavery, and he blamed the North for interfering, saying in 1854 that the white Southerner, quote, is the Negro's friend, his only friend. Okay, would you like to switch places, sir? Exactly. If you had, if you had the choice, would you switch places yeah. with your um, black enslaved person? Totally. Mm-hmm. And then after abolition, he like wrote this whole thing where he's just lamenting about the fact that he lost his black friends. And it's like, oh, oh boo-hoo. fucking you. 
yeah. you piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, when I was looking a little bit into the history, I think this is from the Afropunk article I read, which is a very good article. Uh, I'll link it in the show notes. But it said, the whole sassy black woman or sassy black friend thing has its roots in the classic film eras of the 30s, 40s, and 50s when most black actresses could expect to play slaves, maids, and little else. Enter the mammy figure who would make sharp, witty comments mm-hmm. in the background while glamorous white actors and actresses glided across the screen. And then they went on to point out how in 2011, The Help faced very intense criticism yeah. because once again, these black maids existed to, first of all, it was written by a white person. Yeah. And then these black maids existed to catapult the white protagonist into a new stage in life while their lives remained Static. So like the magical Negro um, and the black best friend, black domestics in film function to nurture and guide white characters. So that's kind of where this started, that mammy trope, black domestic trope. And I feel like it changes with uh, like assigned gender, gender and age of the character. You know what I mean? I feel like if it's a man, it's typically the magical Negro. If it's a young woman, it's typically the black best friend. And then if you get older women, the older women, it's like the mammy character, you know, and it, mm-hmm. every time it always makes me think of Hattie McDaniel from, um, Gone, Gone with, with the, the Wind. wind. Absolutely. I, I loved that movie as a kid. It's one that I cannot get through now. It's so long, but I would watch that on rainy days at my cabin. And, she was always my favorite because she was funny. And like, you know, now I look back and obviously that's a very problematic role, but also really wonderful because she was the first black woman to ever win an Oscar for that role. So which is incredible, but it's so multifaceted. Oh, yeah. It's still tied in able, with such racism. And she wasn't right. even able to like sit with the rest of the categories. Right. And she was able to win an Oscar because she played a role that was deemed to be acceptable by white America at that time. Exactly. Which was this kind of um, slave character, mammy character, domestic character that was not that unhappy about her position. Oh, right? exactly. And that's the problem with Gone with the Wind. I didn't watch Gone with the Wind until I was like 13 or 14. And by the time I watched it, I think I didn't watch it young enough because I realized when I was watching it that I was like, this is really fucked up. I yeah. mean, they have lines in that movie about how like, ah, remember the good old days when Tara was in her full glory and we could hear the soft giggle of the Negroes in the in the slave yeah. quarters. And it's just like, what world are you oh, living? Yeah, it's. I mean, the main characters are racist pieces of shit. It's a whole. I mean, like I can't get. But they're through the, the protagonists, movie now. and you're supposed to root for. You're them. supposed to root for them exactly. But then also, you know, you are still supposed to root for this maid, but because she's like silly, you know what I mean, and happy, and happy, and happy in her position, right? Which kind of yeah. goes back to what that you know George guy was saying after abolition. So I wanted to talk about one character in particular because we had a whole Topanga episode and I think you and I could talk a lot about Angela Mm. because Mm. so Keegan and I, for those of you that don't know, we used to, I used to pick her up from work like almost every day and we would go back to your apartment and we would crochet and paint our nails and watch Boy Meets World Mm -hmm. and we were obsessed for like a whole summer. We just like binged Boy Meets World. I still own the first four seasons on DVD. Yep. And that's you can what watch the rest on Disney Plus. No. And we're not even getting paid by them. So <laughs> exactly. So we love Boy Meets World. So that's why I really wanted to bring Angela up to you because I think Angela is a very interesting character. And there's also been some new developments about uh, the actress's experiences on set. And I also just found out that she was like way older than everybody else. Way older. Yeah. I yeah. didn't realize. She didn't look it. She didn't. She didn't. She so like Sean, her, you know, who played her boyfriend, the character Sean in Boy Meets World was like 17 in real life. And she was like 26 or something crazy like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, Angela came in late in the season and she is there as a series, yes. series. Sorry. And she is, kind of like Topanga 2.0. She has even more wisdom and maturity than Topanga. She, you know, obviously becomes very close friends with her very quickly and she becomes kind of 
the mom of the group in a way that kind mm-hmm. of overlooks all of these white bumbling idiots. You know what I mean? Kind of looking above right. it all. Right. Yeah. And you know, at the time when I was watching it, and I haven't seen the later seasons of Boy Meets World, which is where Angela makes her appearances. You've um, never seen in, them? No, I have. Oh but my I haven't God, seen okay. them in quite a while. Okay. <laughs> so I, I can't speak on it with kind of like this adult feminist mindset, but I can say that when I was watching it initially, I thought that the representation was good. I was so excited to see a black woman well, and, and also an interracial re- relationship. Yeah. And it made me feel really good. But looking back on some of the moments that I do remember, while I still am so grateful that she, I had this representation in one of my very favorite shows. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's a lot of positive that came with Angela it was just the fact that she was like the only black character except for the one other teacher that was only in it for a few seasons Mm -hmm. um I I think that that carries a lot of weight on the character's shoulders which is going to probably go into what you the examples you were thinking of right well it's a lot of weight but also they didn't have to write her like this like they did it's not even that she was written badly but it is exactly what you were saying in that she she fell into this kind of like default mammy stereotype totally. for lack of a better term because you had Eric who was older right but still behaved like a child right and so she is taking care of everybody essentially um except for Topanga which again I guess also speaks to the trope of like women being responsible and men being allowed to kind of like be perpetual man children yeah the women Uh, have to grow up and the men don't but I did appreciate despite you know we, we can talk a little bit about her experiences on the set but like I did appreciate that it did seem to me that the writers from what I remember, did actually try and maybe clumsily, but tried to, they never tried to make her white. They never tried to make her a white character. They did address the fact that she wasn't white. And one that I remember a lot is that she wrote a paper. She got an A on her paper where she's like, how to maintain black identity with three very white friends. Oh, I remember that now. Yeah, so, I mean, I did appreciate that. But again, once again, we could talk, we haven't even given very many examples of black best friends, but they exist in everything. Oh, yeah, I mean, I have the Peanuts written down as an example. Franklin from the Charlie Brown and the Peanuts. You've got Franklin, you've got Dion from Clueless, you've got Donald Faison's character in Clueless as well. Yep, you've got... uh, uh, Corbin Blue and Monique Coleman's characters in High School Musical. Apparently, their names are Chad and Taylor. Oh yes, because I did I did the stage version. Oh, yes, you Chad did and Taylor. Um, which, by the way, who wrote that? Because I've never met one black kid named Chad. I'm sure they I exist, I've, but I've never met. I one. I don't think I've ever met a black person named Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I have either, but I see that before I see a, a black chat. That's, I don't think I've ever a met a black chat. Maybe it it is. Um, then you've got Susie from the Rugrats. Oh, this you've got. We've got um, Michael Scott and Stanley's relationship from the uh, from the Office. Problematic. Yes, that I mean it's, it's one of those things, you know, because Michael Scott is um, portrayed Horrible. as just being this bumbling idiot. You have to kind of for, you're supposed to forgive him for his shortcomings because he's just stupid. That's like why. Yes, but that is fucked up. It's that would so never work. Up. It would never work now. As In someone an who actual likes the office, office environment too. Can you imagine? Your boss treating no. someone like he treats Stanley and Oscar, or for that like matter? he treats Oscar exactly like yes. I we could go honestly. We should do a whole episode on problematic faves, The Office, because I <laughs> love The Office. Yeah, I think The Office is great, and I understand that it's satire and it's meant to be poking fun at at the fact that he's an idiot. But some people don't pick up on that, and they're just like, "What? Michael Scott can say racist shit, and it's funny. Yeah, so why, why can't, can't I, I say it? You know? Yeah. Um, another one that I had written is the inverted. BBF I wrote and that is that so Raven okay right I didn't even think of it that way but this was from the tv tropes.com website I mean but I would still I would still argue that even though she has a white best friend and it's black it's a black centered show right in that it's revolving around a black protagonist and a black family 
um, that Raven is still very much kind of a stereotypical sassy friend. Oh, 100%. She does lots of tongue clicks, lots of, um, you know, neck Moving twists. the head around, the snaps. Yes. Yeah, she definitely yes. still held that. Um, and then my other two favorite examples, uh, Wayne Brady from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Poor Wayne Brady. I love, I, I rewatch Whose Line all the time. It's a show for me when I'm sad that I can watch and always feel better. I also weirdly own that on DVD I for love some it. reason. I love how often Wayne Brady calls out the fact that he is the only black castmate and makes fun of his white castmates because it kind of is, it's, it's, uh, you know that, you know, Wayne Brady is obviously very talented, but it's also very jarring to see, you know, a whole group of white people. And then you see what we've been come to call the token black yeah. character. You yeah. Know? I mean, and with with someone like Ray- Wayne Brady, though, it also makes me wonder if is he he's poking fun on it. Uh, yeah. You know, poking fun at it. But at the same time, like we can laugh at it because Wayne is laughing at it. Right. But it kind of, by him laughing at it and kind of like brushing it off, it kind of gives everyone else, i.e. white America, yeah. permission to brush it off as not a problem. Right. And it There's kind of is a problem that there was almost never, even when they'd bring guests in, which they did every episode. And I love that show. Yeah. I'm not trying to like shit on it. But I am saying like, I do think that there is this expectation for kind of like funny song and dance black people to laugh at their own oppression. Right. And it, because it makes white audiences more, feel comfortable. more comfortable. There was a video that I saw very recently and it was a later season because it was Wayne Brady with Aisha Tyler. And there was something, mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was. Gosh, I have to find it. But it was it was actually a very it was a joke. You know, they were doing the show, but it was something really serious. And I believe that it involved like police brutality. It's like people that would be safe with the yes. cops. Did oh, you see gosh, that? Yes. You know what I'm talking about? I did. Yes, I did. I'll have to find it because it's it's very jarring because it's he's making a joke. He's doing it in a funny way, but also like the audience doesn't really know how to respond. Aisha Tyler is like, yeah, you know, and kind of laughing at how he's doing it. But well, it is, you know, that's a, that's another thing is like black people are always praised for, um, their humor, our humor, like, and black Twitter always kind of is very good at making light of racist situations or making memes out of it and making, making it funny. But, and, and that's amazing. I fucking love that black people do that. I think it's incredible. But also, I don't think that it should be overlooked by white people that that is a coping mechanism right. that has been um, developed because of years of oppression. Right. And that's like, why I liked oftentimes, that. You know, it was yeah. it was set up as a joke. And then the punchline, everybody was like, it's not funny. <laughs> like, it's just real right. and sad. You right. Know? So when it comes to like black best friends, uh, you know, sassy black friends, etc., they often act as kind of this spirit guide to white protagonists. Yeah. Very similarly to the way that the magical Negro trope does. And in that same vein, the way that they are a- able to kind of act that way is that the characters are so one-dimensional that they don't appear to have anything going on in their own lives except for to coach white characters through their lives. Exactly. And in that way, like, so first of all, they're not fully, fully developed. And secondly, in the way that they're developed, because very often they are written by white writers, directed by white people, uh, especially when it comes to the sassy black woman, sassy, angry black friend trope, they end up coming across as a caricature of a black person Definitely. or a caricature of a black woman instead of being this wholly, fully rounded <laughs> human being right. who has like interest, interests and problems of his or her own, you know, it ends up being all about the white person yeah. uh, with this added spice of black people. Right. So let's talk about the the damages that it does for, you know, children growing up watching these things. And, you know, for me, I think of the idea that, you know, I was always able to find somebody that I related to in every show, whether it be a cartoon or live action, there was always going to be a white character. And the biggest upset for me was that I never got to be 
the popular blonde character. I think I brought this up twice tonight. Um, you know, I always wanted to be the main character because she was like blonde and popular and pretty. And in real life, I always wanted to be that way. But I was like the sidekick, um, best friend character in that. But I was always able to find stories that I related to. So I don't really have that experience growing up. What was something, was that something that you were aware of growing up or is it something that you've been more aware of as you've gotten older? Absolutely. I mean, as somebody who has been acting my whole life, it was always something that I was very well aware of that my opportunities were going to be limited because it is less often, even on stage, even on stage, where you it could be anybody. Where, yeah, I mean, and I've been like, the, and I've been like nominated for theater awards. Right. The theater awards that I get nominated for are black best friends, essentially, always. Really? Like, that, that are black best friends, yes. Ugh. And I love those parts. They're quirky, they're fun. Part of it is because. I don't necessarily look like a leading lady in a lot of ways. So that's part of it. I think you do. But thank you. I think you do too. Oh my God, thank you. Um, but like, so that that is part of it. But it's also largely because, you know, and I'm getting ready to go and help start a, a Black Theater Alliance for this reason, because growing up, it felt like, I was never going to get leading roles. Right. My role was always going to be a side character, a supporting character. Um, I was never going to get leading characters. So I, I've known that forever. And then in addition to that, you know, when we're talking about like real life kind of consequences beyond just the representation not being present, the representation that is present very often, especially for black women, black women are routinely portrayed in television and film as, you know, sassy and they do the neck rolls and they have the major attitude yeah. and they are labor labeled this like angry black woman. And there have been studies done where most African-American women will say that they believe that these depictions on screen have real world consequences. Yeah. For them in their dating life, their jobs, their careers, because of the representation of what that is on screen. Right. So, yes, to answer your question, I've been aware <laughs> of all of that my whole life. Right. Yeah. <sighs> is there anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Well, I kind of just wanted to wrap it up really with this again at by Sarah on Instagram. Uh, they kind of wrapped up their slides with something that I found to be, you know, just, they they said it really well. So they said, give every character depth and not only will you break free of the black best friend archetype, the story will be richer, realer, and more complex. And I think that that is so important beyond just for you and I who went to, film school you know what I mean beyond all of the other stuff which is massively important that we have talked about just in the interest of creating good art for real of creating good art you need to allow every character to experience real depth so that the story can feel real right. and rich. Yeah, our the stories that we're watching on TV and in movies and reading in books should reflect real life. You know what I mean? Even if it is fiction, even if it is make-believe, you know, even in science fiction, there's so much that ties to humanity in real life. And exactly. so by having, you know, richer characters, it's only it's only going to help you. You know what I mean? Exactly. And That's kind of, yeah. Like, why are you fighting it? Don't fight well, it. Well, because it's like this halfway, you know, it, there's, you know, we're giving you the diversity. You know what I mean? Like, it just kind of feels like it's a handout in a way. So hopefully, you know, we get more black writers in the writers rooms, more black casting directors, we get more black authors, uh, just black artists in general, like need to just start 
getting into those rooms somehow to get their voices heard because that's the only way that you're going to have a true mm-hmm. representation of your character is by having that experience behind it. Right. You need to consult somebody. If you're writing, if you're a, a white man and you are writing a black female character, you need to run that shit by at least one black woman. Oh, yeah. And in fact, I would say... If it's Ten an experience, <laughs> yeah. If it's an experience that you have literally no familiarity with, you because again, black people aren't monoliths. Mm-hmm. So run that shit by a few black women and let them all give you notes and take all of that into consideration so that you can have just a better piece of media. It's important. We are no longer in the seventies, eighties, and nineties where we can just say, "Oh my gosh, what a relief it is that there are black people in this movie and that they're not." Not drug dealers, yeah. that they're actually friends to the main character. We are far like, beyond it that. Is more than that. Yeah. And we need to allow for that. We do. Oh, well, I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. I really did. I'm glad that we did something Me nice too. and lighthearted, not too research heavy. We just got to kind of chat and hang out. So I hope that you all enjoyed listening to it. If there's anything that you want to add, go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. We also have a Twitter that we sometimes use at Yamp Podcast. Y A N f podcast we have a facebook business and group page you can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners in the group page you can also rate and review us on apple Podcasts. it helps us out so much and we really appreciate it and we also really appreciate it when you listen to us on radio public it's a free way for you to listen and it helps us out just a little bit all right with all that being said we encourage you to rate on bye Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.